DenverCrush.com. Hey everyone, Chris here. Now normally you would be listening to the opening theme of the show and going into the normal, hey everyone, uh, <clears throat> I got a little business to take care of before uh, we get going. This Saturday, as you listen to this, the show should be released on a Wednesday, but this Saturday, July 22nd, July 22nd, at the San Diego Library in San Diego, California for the San Diego Comic Con. That's a lot of San Diego in there. Uh, Jessica and I will be hosting our annual Kaiju Kingdom podcast. And uh, we will be, it's usually one of the few times of the year we do it live. We have, uh, we usually make it like a big kind of uh, to do. So hopefully, if you guys are listening to this and you're in town for Comic Con, please come check us out. I say that because it'll be the first time that all three members of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast will be live on stage together. That's right, we managed to get Mark to come down to Comic-Con for the first time ever. So he is bringing with him some goodies. He's got the Kaiju Gaiden trailer and a few other little things that uh, can't really talk about at the second. So if you want to see that, come on down. We have a wide array of guests as well. We have uh, Steve Reifel, who has uh, got a new book coming out pretty soon about uh, Ishiro Honda. Uh, Chris Maury's going to probably make an appearance. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, wouldn't be anything without an actor from one of the Godzilla movies, uh, Mitsuki Koga, who was in Tokyo SOS. He was one. Of, he was in Kamen Rider. And he was also in a little underappreciated gym called Cromarty High. So... That and uh, a few other guests that uh, we can't talk about at the moment. Do check us out. That is 1 p.m. Saturday, July 22nd at the San Diego Public Library. Uh, And, uh, of course, the first 100 people through the door will get an exclusive print that we have made up for this panel only. It is from IDW artist Livio Ramandelli. Say it like that, really Italian. Uh, <clears throat> that uh, he was gracious enough to do it for us. Uh, again, first 100 people through the door, you get one of these prints. If you're 101, sorry, you know, nothing we can do about it for you. Um, and that's the only place we're going to be doing them. I, uh, I'm not going to re- be, be remaking these. Uh, it's part of a part of a little deal that uh, was made up for for the show. So uh, head on out there, check it out. You can see the piece in our show notes. Uh, as well. And then when we get back, we have, oh, so much to be doing, so much to, to talk about. So please stick around, check us out. And if you if you don't, if you can't make it to the panel, but you see Jessica and I hanging out, uh, you know, at the show, please feel free to say hi. We'd love to meet our fans here and there. And remember, Jessica also has a few other panels, most notably Thursday night, July 20th. You can go uh, upstairs right after the show closes to uh, see her host the Castlevania Netflix panel. Uh, she will be hosting it with uh, producer Eddie Shankar and the amazing cast and crew behind Netflix's Castlevania animated series. That is a very big one. She also has a few other ones spread throughout the day. I will put them in the show notes for you, so do check them out on panzercrush.com. All right. Without any further ado, I give you to pass Chris and today's amazing episode.
everyone, welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. We are your hosts, Mark Hadamio. And I am Chris Eaton. And uh, yes, once again, sadly, Jessica could not be here. She is uh, getting ready to... Uh, we, we got Comic-Con as we record this about a week away. And so the poor girl is completely swamped with her duties for that. So, uh, on that note, Mark informed me yeah. that, hey, may, may, maybe we should be doing this instead. It, you know, We have a special guest today. Sir, please introduce yourself. Um, hello, everyone who may be listening. My name is Evan Briney, and I am the writer director of Young Gary Chronicle. Uh, excuse me, Chronicle <laughs> Project. <laughs> so this uh, this gentleman is uh, is undertaking a massive project. You've been you've been doing it for a while now, right? Uh, technically ten years. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this is one of these absolute pure projects of of labor and love, as far as I can tell. And uh, Mark, who is especially, you know, kind of really getting, you know, knuckled deep into this uh, this particular uh, section of the of the fandom, figured like, you know what? Hey, what better time to uh, to interview this this uh, this uh, young whippersnapper and his uh, amazing project he's got going on? So we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, his, his uh, from just. Enormous Young Gary, the 1999 edition, mind you, the 99 one, the original one, uh, documentary, and uh, you have got some stuff that has to be seen to believe, do you not, sir? You know, that's a (laughs) part of the documentary. Uh, Let's give a little background on Evan. Of course. I've been aware of Evan since uh, he had his Tokusatsu Times website. When did you start that, like in the late 90s? No, no, the Tokusatsu Ega Times, that was a blog that I started, I believe, uh, 2010. 2010. Oh, that yeah. I, I know I've been oh, yeah. before then. No, no, the, like, uh, the blog that uh, I write, uh, which that I need to keep up with more now. I've been uh, publishing it since 2010, and, uh, you know, just whatever I find first. Well, at least I used to be the attitude. Whatever I find first, I'll post on there, and then I'll post a thousand links to every single page on uh, Facebook. You know, <laughs> and, and of course, and of course, you know, over time, after reading David Kalat for the umpteenth time and listening to Ed Gazanowski and Steve Rifle, you know, commentary on uh, Godzilla, you know, he starts going into the more critical things, and uh, at least that's what I hope I'm uh, doing right now. <laughs> cool. Yeah, you've you've been. Uh, I've really been following your posts for a while because like me evan has a love for like the really obscure films as evidenced by devoting an entire uh documentary project labor of love to the much maligned 1999 younger but you know what somebody had to do it mm-hmm. evan stepped up evan did it and it, it, it's I'm, I'm thrilled so how where, where did this all begin Let, let's go back let's start from the beginning how what prompted you to start this uh this doc well, uh, about, yeah, no, ten years ago, Dragon Wars came out mm-hmm. here in America, oh, 3,000 screens. Beautiful movie. I, you saw, know, and, I saw it there. I saw it opening night. Oh, no, nice. I uh, sadly didn't get to go see it. No, mom was sick, so. Because uh, I was, like, what, 13 at the time, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when uh, Top by Japan was doing uh, their report from the American film market, you know, they did a review for Dragon Wars and, uh, you know, seeing some of the trailers and whatnot to 13-year-old me, it seemed cool, you know, really, really cool. 
And, uh, you know, so you're reading something like, say, uh, Kim Song-ho of uh, Samurai Japan wrote, and, uh, you know, you have this piece of the article for Dragon Wars called The Rise and Fall of Young Gary, and uh, it's almost like a, a Nicarus tale, you know. <laughs> he tried so hard to reach the sun, which is, I guess, this kind of holy girl of special sex perfection, and uh, the wings melt and he fails, yeah. so to say. To a, certain, to a certain extent. It's not a complete failure, but that comes later, but the... You know, to 13-year-old me, it's like, okay, the making of this movie seems really interesting in the kind of uh, Birdie of Dreams is better than Fitzcarraldo kind of way. So I started researching, and uh, I noticed a lot of people weren't paying for websites anymore. You know, like, say, uh, a domain website like Anglefire, mm -hmm. you know. Things were just not being paid for or being covered up like Younger Arts official websites before it got taken down. Uh, if they had some concept art for Dragon Wars 2, they labeled it D-War 2. It's uh, two Hangul symbols and, of course, you know, two. Uh, they had two photos from Young Gary, you know, from the, the interior of the alien ship. Mm -hmm. And they did not bother to label it at all. You know, the only mention was a uh, Young Gary 2 kind of a synopsis. And uh, that was it. So I was like, okay, someone needs to do something about this. We're losing stuff. You know, not to mention old... Uh, kind of uh, file reading services, you know, go out of date, you know, certain kinds of uh, flash and plugins, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, was somewhat of a, of a problem a little bit. Uh, There's some things that I wasn't able to actually get into the documentary that way, but uh, that is, I started noticing things were disappearing, and I'm like, no, oh, man, this goes against what I look for. So, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> uh, I ended up making a docu, uh, uh, I ended up writing an article first. It uh, the, debuted on Kaiju File Forums, which uh, sadly is now closed, and, uh, you know, I got some praise for it, so I just kept on collecting. Collecting, and then about uh, three years ago, I'm like, uh, I, I don't know, uh, I guess maybe uh, if it's okay for me to say this, uh, you guys remember by chance with the uh, show of video? I am not top of my head, no. No, uh, gray market kind of a label, and uh, I had worked with them before, and it's like... Uh, the, the the rights, the American distribution rights for Gary are a little bit up in the air. So mm -hmm. it was like, uh, you know, uh, here's this uh, DVD they're willing to put out considering the Sony disc has been long out of print. And, uh, well, what can I do? Well, I got all of this stuff on my hard drive. I can kind of edit together, make a nice little 40-minute thing, get borrowed the soundtrack from someone, you know, make a nice little presentation. And uh, anything else? Uh, maybe try to refine my voice and try to do an audio commentary. And, uh, you know, it started like that. And, uh, it got to about 40 minutes on, and it's like, okay, this actually feels like a movie. Let me go ahead and get up the guts to actually bug Hollywood people. <laughs> well, and that, that's the thing. Uh, what I've learned doing this stuff, uh, especially uh, the years I was, I was um, doing, like, actual reporting and writing, uh, it just never hurts just to plain, just to flat out ask people. Flat out ask people. They're, they're either yeah. just going to say yes or no, and that's going to be it. Yeah, and the no does not hurt your credibility at all. No. Most of the time, I like to believe. Mm -hmm. You know, just you move on. You know, yeah. you know better, you know worse, and just move on. Yeah, and, you and, know, and, and you'll be surprised how many people are actually, are, yeah, sure, I'll, you know, I'll devote 25, 30 minutes, you know, you know, if it's not, the, it, usually it's never any, like, you know, skin off their back, if you will, you know, the, and it, especially if you're picking something that's a little weird and obscure and that they don't ever really talk mm -hmm. about, yeah, they're usually more than happy to talk about that stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, and that's uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I was going to say that, you know, that was a major, major angle to the head of the century was just the fact that these guys had such fond memories mm. of making it. Well, you know, very sweet as to the parts, but, you know, overall fond memories. And, uh, you know, the documentary, as much as it may be for me or for the fans or, you know, some demographic, you know, it is also for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the people who actually made the film. Yeah, and, you're, you're, uh, you're awesome chronicling thing. something that, you know, pretty much will be lost to everybody else. I mean, especially once, uh, I mean, the, these smaller, obscure films, there's, there's nine times out of ten, there's always some wacky story around it. You know, something either on the set, something, you know, on behind the scenes, like, and, you know, they're, they're usually just kind of passed down like, uh, like, uh, old wives tales. And, you know, in this day and age, as I say, it, you know, put it down, document it. That's, you know, that, that, and that's been something like Mark's been doing with, uh, with his own project, so I'm glad to see that. Yeah, you know, you're 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 joining that that uh, that that group of uh, people, just making sure that this stuff's going to be around in you know in ten years from now, fifty years. Like oh yeah, said, like you said, uh, Evan asked, mm-hmm. and he got the participation of two of the people uh, behind uh, involved with Young Gary. One of the actors, Brad Sergis, who played Bud Black. And also uh, the sound engineer, the main sound engineer, uh, Paul Vic Marshall, mm-hmm. and both of them have provided a gold mine of material, <laughs> which which the huge bulk of the documentary. Mm-hmm. No, they they had their own uh, cameras, and they uh, mostly uh, uh, Brad uh, filmed a lot uh, behind the stuff while he was working on the you know, on, on on the actual film. And uh, Evan shows a lot of it in the documentary, and but not o- not only do they provide footage they shot during the production of the film but both were gracious enough to actually sit down and film themselves mm-hmm. addressing the viewer mm-hmm. and and sharing their memories and telling telling those funny stories that you were talking about no no firsthand it, it, it's it's amazing to hear <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that sounded really nice no no that was great thank you <laughs> that was a really nice description <laughs> It was really cool to see that. So yeah, now uh, go on. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. So you, uh, so you got you got all this, and you know, from what I've seen of the film so far, there there was, I mean, just a wealth. Just I mean, if, if, especially for this film, which, I mean, uh, when when um, when this was first announced back in, uh, let's see, it was about '98. So this was coming off the mm-hmm. heels of the uh, the tri- uh, the the Sony Godzilla film. So uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now you know, actually, back- <laughs> actually, actually documentary reveals mm-hmm. that you know, uh, of course, when the Younger nineteen ninety nine came out, they capitalized on the on the uh, on the TriStar ninety eight Godzilla, you know, because especially mm-hmm. when Rep- Killian came out, they used a similar font and everything. Mm-hmm. But this version of Younger was in development as far back as what uh, 1995. Mm-hmm. So this had yeah, nothing to do with the TriStar Godzilla. This is already in development. Uh, let's let's go to uh, okay. Let's go to starting putting the movie together. Where do you start at? Where do I start putting the movie together? Uh, well, for this particular project, it was just uh, well, it was originally just a music video, some trailers, and some TV spots, along with uh, some image galleries. So I'm like. Uh, Okay, okay, let's just make sure that uh, it's flashy enough and paced enough visually. That's the only thing that you can really work on, is the visual element of it. And, 
you know, we also have music because, you know, lots of text cards and whatnot. Uh, so I didn't put it together. It was like a first, once I finally contacted everyone and got everything, it was a uh, take uh, Brad's footage. You know, all of the stuff really shot on Korea. You know, mm-hmm. part of me, the whole video, you know, just kind of like taking back and watching it 60 times, 70 times. Like, like you wouldn't think it, you know, it's, yes, it is cinema verite style, but there is a kind of formal visual language. You start noticing, oh, wait a minute, this is an establishing exterior shot leading into an interior. Okay, so maybe Brad premeditated a little bit of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you write yourself to that, and uh, that's that, you know, you look at the other materials, like, say, the stuff from my own personal collection that I've been downloading and collecting over the years, you know, uh, see how it fits in, and... There's some interesting moments, you know, just uh, lots and lots of time and lots and lots of thinking about it and whacking your brains over, just trying to see how different things mix together. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then, uh, so as, as you're going along, so you yeah. you get you get two you get you get uh, you get two of the the two key people involved in the film, and they they turn mm-hmm. over a a treasure trove of stuff. Now you start getting a little deeper. And you start finding that this is there's there's some as you said there's there's more here. So what yeah. what did you discover along the way uh, uh, in you know in this vast wealth that you got? No, I discovered how much say the cut of the film that we have now. I, I will go in to say this: it's maybe not quite Shin's film mm-hmm. that we're watching. You know, uh, the writer of both the 1999 and 2001 cuts is a guy named uh, Marty Poole. And, uh, you know, he started off as a film distributor, and he kind of tried to work his way into writing and maybe a little bit of acting. And he was at Cannes in 1998, where Media Film International and Yandor was exhibitioning Yangari, and uh, they hired him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the one who ended up after Shimon Ray was like, well, 1999 cuts suck, so at least the critics say so. Let's beef it up. You know, it was all laid in Marty's hands, you know. I guess maybe that's a cynical maybe let's trust the Americans kind of approach, considering the kind of films they were making in the first place, you know, the kind of blockbuster filmmaking that is completely ruled by uh, American sentimentality. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Now, uh, the, the, I, I saw a little bit of the, uh, of, you know, some of the footage you have, you, that I got to see in, in the uh, doc showed, I mean, there, there, was a, there was a scene I was watching where it, it seemed like the, they didn't even realize, uh, they had no idea how to actually to shoot a movie at first. Like they were kind of learning as they were going along. Like, they were shooting all the coverage yeah. as they were shooting the action. Like, they, they were literally shooting everything in order as it was going. Yeah, no, like, I guess if you're going to talk about visual language as far as the actual words are concerned, you know, slating the shots, unheard of, using headphones, you know, for your sound department mm-hmm. to be able to vindicate your other while actors are speaking, you know, nah, not done. It, it, it's definitely different. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe it works for them. But uh, for an American crew, particularly if you're giving someone as cynical as a sound designer, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, there is this certain standards that you do have to go up against. And not to mention, you know, Young Gary was supposed to be a film that was going to be sold internationally. You know, it's going to be one of these big films that uh, made half a million, I mean, half a billion dollars, you know. <laughs> so, you know, lots of pressure on that, that part, yeah. you know. Yeah, they, how ridiculous! How ridiculous on, on a level. Well, I mean, it's it doesn't sound too similar to. Um, I mean, we've uh, we've talked with the uh, well, 
infamously, um, 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 uh, how do you pronounce Sampo's last name, Mark? Okay, so this gentleman who is a Thai producer and has a uh, shady history with the Ultraman uh, series. Are you are you aware of the that that story? Oh yeah, no, those are Hanuman yeah. uh, Ultraman films. Yeah, no, and he even had like a theme park, and he wanted to do one with Will Smith. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jio <laughs> Productions. Jio Productions. Yeah. So it, I mean, I mean, when I I. I when I spoke with the man at, at this very weird um, like announcement party they held out here in, in Hollywood, it it it, it does. It, and this is you know uh, comparing to to what it sounds like with the producer for this, where yeah, we're gonna do big and bold, but you have no idea what the hell you're doing. And <laughs> nine times out of ten, that turn you know nine times out of ten that turns into it's always gonna be a mess. But some but it's always like an interesting mess, if you will. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. it never turns into anything bland, but it just turns into, like, I can't turn away from this car wreck kind of, kind of, uh, kind of vibe. <laughs> so, it's oh, sounds, yeah. now, it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds like there was a lot of that going on. Oh, oh yeah. Now, these guys do know how to make films, you know, Shaman Ray, mm-hmm. before the 90s. He was kind of like a, the, I, I would compare him to uh, John Belushi, mm-hmm. you know? Lots of, uh, you know, he's a bigger guy, but he's funny. Known for playing a, a a mentally handicapped character named Young Goo, mm-hmm. you know, many many movies in the series and many spinoffs. You know, before Scary Movie, you know, he was doing say a Rambo parody. You know, you know before a Loaded Weapon, he was doing you know stuff like that mm-hmm. <laughs> over in Korea. You know, and making millions millions. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and then all of a sudden, what? Yeah, even though he he was made his fame as a comedian, he's always had a love for like. The kaiju genre, even though being Korean, mm-hmm. you know, one of his Young Goo films, Young Goo and Dinosaur Juju, uh, you know, there was a lot of like homages to the original Young Gari in it. You know, it's really the design, yeah. And then also, uh, uh, Shim also did Tyranno's Claw, which mm-hmm. is basically a Korean version of One Million Years BC, or One Million BC. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's all practical effects. And everything. <laughs> yeah, it felt strange for the filmmaking, but so it was kind of surprising to see, you know, all of that. You know, it, it wasn't like you know he was a first-time filmmaker. He had a long history of making movies, so that mm-hmm. that, that was very odd to see that, well, that bit. Like, the, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to mention like uh, Shim goes all the way back to where he did a series of films called the uh, Uranium Thunderhawk from Below, and the special effects for like say giant mechs, right? You know, you got to an avian kind of mech and a kind of Voltron looking mech, you know, they don't try to hide these similarities quite as much as you think, but, uh, you know, they were doing it as anime, you know, cells on top of live action frames, mm-hmm. you know, go all the way back to that. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> so, but, and, and then, and, but that, that's the thing too. I mean, um, um, excuse my ignorance on the part. I didn't get that far into the dock. I, I know I sound like an asshole, but, um, I, <laughs> so, did you find out uh, why? Uh, I mean, because it seemed like the, originally the film was intending to use full-on practical effects, was it not? I mean, there were suits that made at one point, at least of young Gary. Yeah, the, the suits seemingly at this point in my research, mm-hmm. like it's, I was able to contact some of the uh, people who had worked with Young Art. You know, very limited information. Mm-hmm. From what it seems to me, the suits were there in case they needed them. 
Like, say, there were certain just movements of young Gary, the creature himself, that maybe did not look so hot on CG, and they thought maybe they could match it, you know? Oh, so. wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, because there was, I believe, there was, I believe, um, because when I first picked up the film, I picked up the boot, I picked up a bootleg of it at, at the San Diego Comic Con, like, in 2002, and, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, at this point, I'm not 100% which cut that was, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's probably the, the 2001 cut, um, but I remember sitting there watching, like, I, I could have swore, reading on the internet, like, at the time, like, they they actually shot it with the suits, and then the, cut that they went back to, they actually cut out all the suit stuff and did a CG. Akin to what uh, the the Thing uh, prequel did recently, in the last like five years or so. So that, yeah, yeah. So none of that actually happened. So the suits were just kind of there for the sake of being there. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything that exclusively says that, you know, they filmed the stuff with the suits and then they covered it up with CGI. Nothing mm-hmm. exclusively says that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I guess that's conjecture upon the virus part. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, now, do the uh, let, let, let's go into the actual CG itself. Um, mm. Because, uh, yeah, you watch that movie today, and even for, you know, the even even for 99, 2000 when it came out, like, they, 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 the effects are something to, be, to behold. Uh, it, it, <laughs> this movie has, look, I'll give this movie, the, like... I, I, it's it's a train wreck of a film. Let's let's kind of be honest, but it's a fun train wreck of a okay, film. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, and it's very bold in its ideas, uh, especially with the, <laughs> you know the rocket uh, the rocket pack uh, brigade that the fights on Gary like halfway through the film. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of great ingenuity in this film that they just did not have the the resources to pull it off, and the CG. I mean, I mean. There was, there, I mean, there was stuff. There was stuff on the on the original PlayStation that was pulled off better than this, and it just looked like yeah, they, that, they, they stopped halfway through rendering and they just kind of put out what they had. Well, that was part of the uh, problem with the budget that kept on inflating simply because of the monsoon seasons and scheduling conflicts mm-hmm. and different other things, including uh, you know, Brad goes on to say in, in the documentary because of this, you know, kept on holding him up and whatnot. The other actors, you know. He and possibly some of the others were like, well, since you're holding us back in South Korea this long, more so than what you told us, you know, come on, pay us a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, and well, how, do, how do you account for all of that when you're this one independent company in all of Asia, you know, mm-hmm. in all of Asia to be doing the CGI stuff? Because think about it. You had, of course, Industrial Art of Magic in America. Yeah. You had the beginnings of Lata in yeah. New Zealand. You know, you had the beginnings with Peter Jackson. And then Centropolis in Germany that ended up doing, you know, Independence Day, that first American Godzilla film. You know, so, and they just, I guess, you know, dive, you know, dive, you know, head first into that water. <laughs> too shallow for them, too. Well, I mean, li- li- but li- yeah. to, to be honest, at the time, like, Japan was starting to dip their toe into the CG arena as well, and it's, mm-hmm. uh, up until Shin Godzilla, it, they've never been, been truly been able to pull that off either. I mean, what do you know what the budget on on Young Gary was? Uh, you know, all when all said and done. Yeah, no, when it was all said and done, uh, as well as the 1999 cuts. No, not including you know expenditures for that 2001 cut. Uh, somewhere in the ballpark of nine million. Okay, so that's and in, in comparison uh, for I mean for people who aren't aware and you know I'm, I'm I have to have this argument with people who don't understand like international box offices and how different countries work. Nine million for mm. a Korean film is a 
ton of money. Like they're they're there's they they don't do high. I mean now they might they they do a bit more, but back but you know, 1999 that they don't do that big of films like. Yeah, oh, yeah. The average budget for a Korean film at the time was three million. Which one? Three million. The average budget. Yeah, the average budget for a Korean film at the time was three million dollars. Yeah, because your box office, because you're 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 looking at a domestic market. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I don't have that top of my head. Uh, I don't I don't have the information how many you know cinemas are in Korea. So you know, you're looking back. You know, if you if the tops three, and you got to turn around and make nine to ten to you know truly make a profit. So I'm I'm assuming there's Maybe like 800 theaters at all together in in the in the in the country. I might even be overestimating that. No, 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 no. You're, that's actually really, really close to the number back then. That's actually really, really close. All right. So yeah, because I know Japan has some like they only got I think what 1,200 screens or something like that in the in the entire country. So I mean, mm-hmm. so when you when uh, like is because this all came about like. Um, Again, not to get too off topic, when, I, when I'm arguing with people about the Attack on Titan films, and they, when they, when they complain about how cheesy they look, I'm like, well, you gotta realize these are Japanese productions. They aren't really aiming for international. I mean, that's an afterthought. You know, in in Japan, you 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 know, you know what you have, and if everybody goes and sees a film, like at, at, at most, you get a Miyazaki film or like Your Name, where there's a huge turnout for it, and yeah, you get the big. But for the most part, you're gonna make. I think at most like fifteen to twenty million, if that, and that's that's not a lot. That's especially in comparison to the American market. I mean, fifteen twenty million for that'd be like saying if Spider Man this weekend opened only to twenty, that it would be considered a bomb. You know, you know. Oh yeah, people would do their job. Yeah. So you know, you, when you're looking at you know, looking at that kind of thing, when yeah, when these these kinds of projects get you know way out of hand, it's like there's there's a point of no return on some of these things. So. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, seeing that you know they they had bigger aspirations, and, and but now you know you revealing that uh, there there was some producer Tom Fuller in the background, kind of you know sheds a lot of light on on some of the uh, the issues that this film has. Well, like uh, when uh, yeah, no, Shevan Ray went ahead and from the get go, but it became only more apparent as you know time went on. Mm. No, he does movie. Definitely, government money is in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you even see from like say uh, day uh, two, I believe in the film. You know, you got military people filming the production. Mm-hmm. I guess as a sort of kind of account, and uh, you know, you got all that watching over you, which probably added some stress. In the meantime, you got <laughs> you know these Americans supposedly treated well. You know, mm-hmm. lots of alcohol, being impressive people. They're going to these hotels. You know, getting alcohol poisoning, maybe, uh, uh, let, let, let's say, uh, prostitutes, maybe. <laughs> hey, man. Um, that's, yeah, no. Uh, that's, how yeah, yeah, roll. A, that's how they roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, yes. I mean, uh, I've told the truth, actually, a couple of things that I'm out, uh, I, I've been asked not to say regarding, you know, the production, you know, on both sides of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain kind of secrets, and, uh, now, it, 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 it was crazy, you know, they were out in the middle of nowhere, you know, trying to make this movie, and if not there, they were, you know, in the bustling city back at uh, Young Art Studios, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just going mad, just going mad because it all came down to the finances in the end. Mm-hmm. It all came down to the finances, and, you know, uh, from what we know, at least, uh, David Smithus, uh, the guy with Media from International, you know, he seemed like a sane man. 
there was another producer. I wasn't quite able to get his name, but in the film, he's a heavier set person. Mm-hmm. And uh, he seems to maybe not quite know what he's doing. <laughs> you know, it seems like maybe that one person who had a lot of money who maybe, you know, was like, okay, maybe I can make an investment back. Yeah. You know, it, it, lots, it, lots of stuff. Yeah. And that's that. That's sadly the problem that you know actual Hollywood has today. There's a lot of um, a lot of hedge fund guys that figured, hey, I got money, I can get into the film in the film industry. And you have like the uh, the uh, like the company that owns the Terminator rights, and they've bungled that three times now. They've, I mean, Legendary famously started as one of those. Uh, Thomas Toll was was a was a stockbroker, I believe. And just love movies like all right i have I've never made a movie before, but uh let's uh let's start a production company so and you know with the studio system like, hey, we don't have to pay for as much, you know we'll have you know we'll co finance you know yeah, we'll take your money, and that's how you get things yeah. like uh like Thomas Tolkien booted from legendary, so <laughs> yeah, so yeah there's there's always those you know some sometimes you you know. It's all saying, you know, you know, you get too much for your own good every once in a while, and you know, and that was the thing. I mean, with this, I mean, there was, I mean, I, I even remember reading that there was a big push for for young Gary to be like the kind of the high standard of like a, a like get Korea on South Korea on the uh, the international map for filmmaking, like you know, oh yeah, big, yeah. yeah, they're doing this big blockbuster. I mean, the vernacular is a uh, cultural exchange, you know, mm-hmm. get uh, South Korea to be, you know, a major player like that because, you know, why not movies are a part of culture, mm-hmm. you know, you may frown upon that if you're talking about a Michael Bay production, but besides that, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, you're gone. I'm um, saying, so, well, I mean, a, a, uh, a monster movie is universal. Everyone gets a monster movie. If you have spectacles, mm-hmm. spectacles universal. It's going to, it's going to draw more than say, like, a small drama that might be, you know, impeccably directed with a fantastic story, but some, you know, there it it might be, you know, because it's subtitled and because it's, you know, from another country, it, it'll get looked over, you know, sadly. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And not to mention science fiction, you know, it could be written in a certain way to where. And Jim brought this up in an interview with uh, M. K. Simpson once. No, it's like you can't really offend certain demographics of science fiction, you know, it transcends certain religious things, you know, because, you know, it's fictional, you know, it's yeah. not a monster, for goodness sake, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it transcends certain kinds of cultural, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, no, let's just go ahead and talk about the cultural as a good umbrella term, you know, uh, boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, and why not, you know, God will is a thing, you know, why not Young Gary? Yeah, why not? There's <laughs> You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, the original film was, you know, it, it, the original film is a fun film. I mean, it's it, uh, it, it much like you know the, the the late '60s. Everybody was trying to you know jump in on the uh, the the Godzilla bandwagon. I mean, hell, Japan alone. Mark, how many how many other studios tried to really pop out their own you know Godzilla? Like back in late like the kaiju boom, like '66, '67. Yeah, around uh, then. Uh, Shochiku, you know, Dai, you Gamera, uh, Nikatsu. Um, you know, there were a lot of them. Yeah, we had we had Gappa, we had X or Gilada. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, was Shochiku, Mikatsu was Gappa. Um, you know, there there are like other more obscure ones. You know, all the heroes on TV at the, the shows coming out on TV at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Yeah, and yeah. You know, Young Gary was, you know, like just another product of the time. It was the, what was popular out there, you know. And the original film is, is still a fun film. It's it's and it's actually well done for, you know, a big a big you know special effects film. You know, at the time, like it's not like, it, I mean, yeah, it, it is definitely a product of its time and place. But you know, you could still watch it and, and enjoy it. It's not like. You know, saying uh, and, and, and this is not to be smirched, the good name of Gamera, but let's 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 be honest, the later seventy Gamera films, it, sometimes they're a little hard to watch every once in a while. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, never had any of Go ahead, Evan. Okay, no, no, no. I was just gonna say, you know, uh, every artist who like say films like the original Young Gary. They're almost like a necessary kind of benchmark that has to exist, mm-hmm. which you know, right? Because like the same thing about the 1999 cut, you know, just it had to exist. Otherwise, have nothing else to work off of. You know, it's always, I guess, like kind of like a hypothetical kind of place. Now, at least now you have these individual stops, mm-hmm. you know, these projects that you've come up with. So, yeah. uh, you know, at least you got that as far as the appreciation is concerned. Yeah, and uh, you know, ironically, no, no less than you know, especially after the 2001 cut, like three or four years later. South Korea breaks onto the 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 damn international map when uh, you have like uh, Park Chan Woo uh, putting out stuff like um, like uh, uh, Old Boy and uh, then later on stuff like The Host comes out like South Korea what, it, they were right on the cusp Young Korea was right there they were they just kind of missed it but it, you know soon after everyone started turning their attention to the country because they were popping out it just one after another of just just high caliber films, so they're still they're still doing it too. I mean, the, the, a country known for mostly their dramas, they were like really cranking on some good stuff. I mean, right now you can watch uh, on Netflix, you can watch uh, uh, Akja, which is a South Korean co-production. Mm-hmm. So you know, did, yeah, that the Bong Joon Ho direct that? Yes, he did. All right. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually I, I saw it the other night. It's a it's a delightful film. I call. I've been saying. I, I. I. told my buddy. It's the best R-rated family film I've seen in ever. So, it's. It's much. Much like the host. It's a weird gender uh, genre bending um, type of film. But it. It unlike the host. It's not as anywhere near as grim. It's. Just, it's weird because it, it could feel like it could be like an E.T. esque film. But they. There's so much swearing and there's a lot of. It gets real heavy at points too. Like there's a lot of like just. Uh, like like just heavy moments where you know if you showed it to a kid, a kid's just kind of like, like it's it's Bambi's mom being murdered like four times over kind of moment. So <laughs> so yeah, so it's not it's it's meant to uh, it's meant to really kind of make you sit there and ponder. Um, so I, I need to ask, um, have you discovered the? Uh, I mean, is there a cut of the ninety nine? Is there a ninety nine cut out there anywhere still? I I. Read somewhere that it does not exist anymore. That the 2001 is the only thing that's out there. Yeah, nothing that I have read or seen has said that. You know, like say the negative was burned or anything. No, mm-hmm. probably elements are lost and have lost probably in terrible condition. But uh, no, it's it might still be out there. It might still be out there. It's just some vault. You know, like how we have the you know uh, Salt Lake City mines where we have a whole bunch of film prints. You know, yeah. maybe South Korea has a version of that where. If we do a search, we might find a couple of reels that could be cool. Now, do you, uh, in your research, have you figured out what the differences between the two were? Well, uh, 
as far as the special effects are concerned, you got a lot more of the practical suit effects in the 1999 cuts. Oh, really? You know, and, uh, there's a music, yeah, like, there's actually a music video for a hip-hop song produced, uh, for the, uh, movie. At the, around about, say, uh, a third of the way in, and, uh, you know, you just, you see some of that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, oh, okay, a little taste of what the 1999 cuts could have been. But the biggest thing is, uh, color timing, mm-hmm. is what I noticed. They, uh, what we have right now, a lot of cool blues, but mm-hmm. what it was back in 1999 was a lot of browns. Ah, okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and there's kind of like, a, as Paul kind of mentioned in the documentary, it's like the further one in the film, it's like they were processing and rendering and creating the CG footage in chronological order. Okay. You know, so it's kind of like by the end of the film, that's when you start really seeing the problems with, you know, the CG model and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it must be something interesting to watch. It must be something interesting to watch. Oh, it is. Although I didn't notice any... Excuse me? Uh, no, just... I mean, considering that they're doing the CG in order, that's just... I mean, if you know anything about filming, that's you know insane. That's <laughs> insane. Usually you shoot all your stuff for, like... It's like, you know, Spielberg will shoot all his big stuff first, and then he'll film and shoot the rest of the movie, and so they'll... You know, like, the ending of the movies, you know, toward... You know, Rendered before the movie's actually done filming, you know, you get you get stuff like that. But you know, wow, okay. The more and more I hear, the more you know what the, it adds. This whole story just adds a, like an a, an an aura of uh, of intrigue to the film we have now because it once you get a little bit a peek behind the curtain, you know, you get, you always take that into consideration when you're watching a movie. Uh, sometimes, like I I like it's like uh, Gareth Edwards Monsters. If you just want to hold on yeah. that film, it's you know it, it's a it's an enjoyable film. But when you find out this dude did everything on his own, like he it was just him and like a cameraman, and he was you know he did all the effects, and you're just like, oh good lord, like it adds it to it so much more. Yeah, yeah. Now, now that's one of the good things about these monster movies, mm-hmm. in particularly they just keep on getting better. They have very interesting storylines that they can go at certain angles with, but the you know, there's just sometimes uh, failures. One of the revealing things that I was surprised to find out uh, in Evan's documentary, uh, Brad Sergi tells the story of um, the shooting. Uh, the shooting uh, of Young Gary was uh, it was running over schedule, and he had to be back in L.A. because he had a lot of acting gigs. He he did a lot of live theater at the time. Mm-hmm. He was eager to get back to Los Angeles. And so he pretty much told him, hey, you know, I agreed to come out for so long and the shooting's running over. I have to go. But there, mm-hmm. he noticed in the in uh, the script and in the storyboard that there's a couple of uh, scenes I haven't done yet. But, you know, and he said, well, he said, looking at the, the script, he said, we could have probably shot it all in one day, but I guess he said, I need to go. And they're like, okay, well, gotta do what you gotta do so he, he went home and as a result key scenes were not shot so the, the original ending had to be rewritten mm-hmm. so that one actor resulted in a total change in storyline for what we eventually saw do you have any, do you have any, do you have any do, I mean do you have any information on what the original ending was supposed to be 
Yeah, no, uh, the original ending was originally Brad Sergi's, but Black, he survives. Like, he's throughout the rest of the film. You know, he survives that first and very attack. Mm-hmm. I like to say the 2001 cut. And there's a subplot about him finding a floppy disk where all of those cave paintings and carvings that you saw at the beginning of the film, yeah. they translated. And it's kind of funny, you know, you got to say Legendary doing the monster multiverse, right? Mm-hmm. Younger Art kind of wanted to do that. Uh, you had a flying pterodactyl monster that was going to be revealed, or at least the possible of it, anyway, at the end of the 1999 set of hmm. You know, it's kind of like Bud Black, you know. He had survived a car crash during one of Young Gary's, you know, raids, mm-hmm. and uh, he just made his way through the fossil. He's like, I know it all. I got it I'm going to expose this whole entire conspiracy thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like a raid madman. Yeah, and that's what we were to expect um, from, uh, I guess, the ending to the 1999 version in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Fascinating. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't find anyone who has actually seen the 1999 cut, though. You know, a lot of the uh, Korean correspondence that I've had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's mandatory in South Korea to do military service. Yeah. Kind. And, uh, like, everyone, you know, while Young Gary was released in, like, say, 850 screens in South Korea. Mm-hmm. They were doing, you know, service, so it's kind of uh, fun. I can't seem to find a first-person perspective on you know, there's not trying to nine cuts. That's interesting. I don't know, Mark, have you got anyone? Any what? Like, have you by chance uh, seen or heard of anyone who has seen the nine nine cuts and, uh, you know, no. remember the details? The closest I have to it is that one picture book, that Korean picture book that I have from the original 99 release. But honestly, the, the stills that are in there are pretty much indistinguishable from the 2001 version which I have. Um, you know, I know there are differences, but personally, I, I haven't seen firsthand what they are. And I don't, I don't know anybody. I mean, you know, Gi-Hung Gong, Arki-Hung, he worked on the film, but, you know, there's only so much he can tell us. Yeah, no, yeah, no. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, I'll also go to say this, it's not quite pointed out in the documentary, but, uh, no, uh, tensions were rising at Young Goo Art Studios. Not everyone was a happy camper, mm-hmm. you know, making this movie. Ah. Well, I mean, clearly, anything that's going over, and it sounds like that it's going to be a mess. You're going to have, uh, you you have the brew, yeah, you you'll get a mutiny brewing sooner than later. I mean, hell, even James Cameron had to deal with it on Aliens. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, okay, well, jeez, wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it all. Now, it's, 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 I, I love hearing all this stuff. So, um, what else have you, uh, I need to ask, what else have you found? Because you have more than just behind the scenes stuff. You, uh, you mentioned you got like music video clips. What else do you have in this, uh, in this treasure trove? Yeah, trailers. We got stuff that would show at, say, the American film market, toy commercials, food product placement commercials, you know, just little things like this that I try to at least find a way how to fits it within the story somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a scene where, you know, they focus on, huh, you know, the South Koreans take off their shoes before entering the building, you know, as for mm-hmm. custom in, you know, East Asia. And, uh, well, there's this one little commercial of these cartoon, super deformed, young Gary, you know, caricatures, and they were used to sell shoes. And it's like, okay, well, there you go, boom. <laughs> Just a little something to liven up things. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, oh, go ahead, Mark. You know, like you said, it's a treasure trove of things. I mean, I love the little oddball stuff, and the, what Evan has amassed is, is a great 
it's, it's a great documentation of you know what this movie was mm-hmm. at the time. It was very heavily hyped in Korea. Uh, some of my favorite things, but you know, besides the toy commercials, which Shim himself appears in, uh, uh, the product placement, uh, Shim with children camping out uh, in the commercial for dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets, and then Yongari shows up, <laughs> shoots fire at them. It's it's fantastic, and uh, but personally, the one the other things I find most fascinating are some behind-the-scenes footage that show original concept art for Yongari and some, not only uh, like original maquettes for Yongari. I mean, like two-foot-high maquettes that are amazingly detailed, but also a lot of footage of the suits, the full-size suits and miniatures that were built. So they have those. And then, and then also Evan uh, also th- uh, included... Um, you know, Shim was originally envisioning a sort of monster verse. If Yongari mm-hmm. was successful, because the original ending with, with uh, Bud Black totally set up a sequel. And there were other projects that only that didn't get beyond the concept phase, and some like special effects test footage was shot. Well, one of them was uh, a movie called Condor, uh, mm-hmm. which was a couple of, fu- of flying creatures. There is a great shot of uh, one of the maquettes that the special effects people were working on for Condor of a winged monster that looks a hell of a lot like the 98 TriStar Godzilla with wings. <laughs> yep, yep. It's amazing footage. I've never seen this stuff anywhere, and I was just thrilled to see it. And now uh, just uh, 10 years plus of uh, just, you know, collecting things, searching the internet, and trying to, you know, little things like really... You know, anyone listening to this, you can do this. You know, just take the time and effort if you have it. And, uh, you know, you, you know the stuff like this you can do. You know, you can be your own little historian, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and the, that's that's the wonder of the day and age we live in. Like, I mean, hell, up to, like, 15 years ago, to do a dock, you would have to have, you know, like, five to ten grand in just the equipment alone and then the time and effort. Now, you know, you just need a, a decent computer and, uh, you know, just patience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like you got to be able to also be able to confront the fact that maybe expectations are different on that side. You know, I was very lucky. Paul and Brett have been very patient. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's been three years in the making, and my computer has almost been destroyed at this point. <laughs> you know, um, you know, just a whole bunch of different little things. And uh, you know, when you say, "Oh, uh, I'm not going to actually come out to L.A. to meet you," you know, to film you myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting. You know, it's definitely scary. You know, because it's all of a sudden, oh, well, why would I want to bother with you now? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to interrupt this real quickly because Evan uh, said something that uh, uh, brought something to mind. Uh, you said that your computer has almost been destroyed making this documentary. Oh yeah, Evan's devotion to this project is amazing. Uh, he has a site devoted, a uh, Facebook page devoted to this documentary and over the past two years he's posted made little posts and there's not many people on the site but it's fascinating to watch he a couple of times he was posting that oh i I don't have any uh wife at my house right now so i think you were sitting like at a at the uh, snack bar at target using their (laughs) wi-fi so you could get it to fit the document together that was amazing (laughs) 
No, 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 that was nice. Like, uh, you know, spoiler alert, everyone, kind of a little bit. But, uh, no, like, uh, it was great. That photo that you saw was actually the night where, like, as if the ending wasn't sentimental enough, you know, the ending to the documentary is a kind of sentimental dancing kind of thing, which I thought was nice. And uh, that's when I actually kind of came up with the idea, oh, maybe put a little bit of a, a little clip of D-War and that Condor test footage that came out in, I think, what was it, 2011? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, now that was a good night. That was a good night. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let, I mean, uh, well, let's talk about D War and the fallout of of young of young Gary real quick. So, uh, yeah. the the actual movie how uh, how did it do in Korea? It uh, failed. All right. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, it's had to say no. Like, it's been weird. Numbers, trying to get particular numbers has been like, uh, seen, it's almost like musical chairs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't really seem to find actual numbers. All we know is obviously assailed. You know, yeah. you know, Shin was brought up as a big hero nationally and now, you know, he was embarrassed, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then right, volumes. Now, did he start D-War right after? Or was it while they were in the process of making Young Gary, did they start D-War? In the process of Dungary, D-War actually wasn't originally called D-War. It was uh, going to be called Imugi, based on the uh, snake creatures that become dragons that mm-hmm. are featured in the movie. Mm-hmm. And there was, I believe, going to be a part of this uh, monster multiverse where you know you had Dungary, Condor, Dungary 2, and then maybe Imugi, and then you know the big Avengers team-up movie. <laughs> oh, I'll give the man... He had, the, he had a bold vision. I'll give him that. Uh, but I mean, you look at D War and you look at young. I mean, it's obviously somebody learned from the the mistakes from the first film. So, I mean, with D War, I mean, if you haven't seen D D War is a fun film. I actually I love D War. I uh, love D War. Yeah, and the effects. No, I, I oh, own copy. <laughs> yeah, the effects of that. Are no, actually, I just sorry, I own copy. The effects in that are actually really, really top notch. Like. There is some stuff in there. I mean, uh, especially on the budget that they had, they, I mean, they, they've knocked out a lot of like other like smaller budget films that, that have tried to, to do the same thing. Now the story, you know, leaves a little bit to the imagination, but it still works. Like it's entertaining top to bottom. Like it is a great, it's a it's a great like fantasy film. And, and I I you know I hope that uh, people have hopefully discovered it in its ten years since its release. Seeing it in theaters with my buddy, like he he turned to me and was just like. Dude, I, I had no idea what the hell this was. This is pretty. This is pretty goddamn awesome. So, um, yeah. So you know, great thing. And that was that actually was a hit though, wasn't it? Did that that did fairly well in Korea? Oh, very very well in Korea. Can't say the same about America, but no, no. It, because of that nationalistic drive, you know, mm-hmm. except you know, unlike Young Gary, where you knew there was like government money involved. You know, D War actually made it more upfront. You know, you have like say this nationally renowned song Ariang at the end, you know, with this nationalistic quote by Shim that is on a home video release, sadly, you know, be war and I will conquer the world, you know. Uh, it, just, it just, it really got to people and South Korea is like, oh my gosh, here we go, here's this, we can compete with the big boys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's how comment made money. Yeah. That's the uh, current theory that mostly, you know, recognized as far as I've read. <laughs> so, and then, uh, right after that, is, is that when Shin was she, he got in trouble for uh, what was it money laundering? Uh, yes, money laundering, stealing a lot of money from the company to pay for gambling addiction. Ah, okay. you know that that he had. That, that'll chest. But uh, along, 
yeah, and it just compounded because, like I say, after um, Dragon Wars, you know, we had Dragon Wars 2 that they wanted to make, mm -hmm. uh, this project called Fish War, which, well, it was kind of like, you know, fish become, you know, land dormant, you know, creatures, and they start killing off people, eat sushi and whatnot, you know, mm -hmm. kind of fish but cool. You know, but uh, the big two projects, one that got made and one that didn't get made, was uh, The Last Godfather, which got made with Harvey Keitel and Jason Mewes. Yeah. And then uh, this Pixar-esque, you know, post-Korean War drama called Memories of Bread. And, you know, along with the fact that he's just something from his company and whatnot, Shimon Ray is really, really desperate, though so he actually threatened a couple of producers with a flare gun. <laughs> oh, God, it just gets better and better. Wow. Now that, that oh, yeah. I mean that that was what like ten years ago now right that was because um, that that all happened like yeah. right right after D Wars came out uh, if I'm not mistaken it happened incrementally the big big break happened I believe in either 2013 2014 mm -hmm. as far as you know people actually coming up you know that's when Youngblood got liquidated you know okay. no more Youngblood Studios mm -hmm. you know lots of employees who just were not paid you know. Like really, so and when I was talking to say uh, Gihu Hong, aka Argy Hun of Big Monster Club mm -hmm. over on uh, the neighbor block, you know, it, it, he mentioned it straight up. You know, he had a hard time maybe trying to actually contact some of the people that he knew from his days at Youngwar because there's just a lot of not good feelings towards Shim mm. and his company. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's involved with the sequel that they. I I I mean I've I've seen it was announced. I don't know if they're actually working on it right now or not. Is it? I mean, do you know anything about that? No, it's going to be Chinese produced. Um, oh, okay. I, well, there you go. I'm not like I haven't read too much about it. Like, uh, internet is limited, you know, and uh, uh, <laughs> you know, just work on the documentary, you know, yeah. just like try to keep things simple, you know. But uh, I believe she may only be in the producer. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. Please, by all means, you know. But uh, you know, you're going to have some new monsters in there. You know, you're going to have the dragons. And uh, supposedly, I believe, a special effects supervisor from uh, the legendary Godzilla is supposed to be working on it. So, hey. Well, if it's got that Chinese money behind it, I wouldn't doubt it. So, well, actually, no, technically, uh, Legendary is owned by China, by a Chinese conglomerate now. So, it would make perfect sense. The Wanda group. Yeah, Wanda. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So, all right. Well, well hell, that makes uh, absolute sense now why you got the guy greenlit. They love that stuff over there. Oh, yeah. Like, he's also apparently wanting to do, and, like, it's been something he's been wanting to do since then, Gary, you know. Mm -hmm. He wants to open up a theme park in China. Yeah, sounds about right, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and he tried with Young Gary, he tried with Dragon Wars, and now he's going to try again, and I don't know too many more things, but uh, I got to wonder, how does he keep on coming back, well, you know? It, it's, I mean, there's the, the people that know how to make money, that aren't good with money, mm -hmm. they they still have that skill how to make money. So it's usually you know you're you're very charming, you know how to you know BS, you know how to work a system. I got a feeling that's that that's that's how that's rolling right there. Like he's telling people what they want to hear, but he can't quite deliver on on the promises though. So that that's just my assertion of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Mark? Um, I haven't really heard uh, much about, you know, any new projects. You know, the last I heard was just the, uh, you know, all of his legal issues. But uh, I would really love to see him, you know, continue. I mean, I, I'm a fan of his stuff. 
You know, if there's one thing that we can give those younger art films for, the art direction is nice. You know, really intricate work. You know, they, and it is picturesque. It is picturesque. You know, the monsters are not ugly. They're actually beautiful, oh, you know. No, they're, of that. they're awesome. I mean, how even, oh. even the, the young Gary, I mean, well, Psyker not so much, but the young Gary design is actually really <laughs> badass. I love, I love the, uh, the, the, the kind of the armored look of them. Yes. And, 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 uh, just in D War, like you said, Story notwithstanding, visually it was it was very it was spectacular. Oh yeah, that Fantastic. attack on that attack on Los Angeles by the flying dragons against the helicopters. That's one of my favorite monster city attack scenes ever. So, <laughs> I, I, really anybody listening, if you haven't had a chance, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could find it in a the three dollar bin at a Chevron because that's where I found a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> give give it a chance. I mean, it it why it's. It's a, a joyous film. That that's the best way I can describe it. Um, Youngery, not so much. Uh, Youngery is <laughs> the Youngery is if you really want to watch an interest. You know what? It's an interesting film school. Uh, uh, it's one of those films where if if in film school you were to watch it, this is how you do this. And then there's the not so much. You know, don't do what the guys <laughs> did. So. You know, it, it it's a perfect example of a production. It sounds like a production that got out of control. Too big. You know, someone took too big of a bite and couldn't swallow it. So, uh, I okay. Now I need to I need to ask about the doc. So where where are you standing right with it right now? Well, we have luckily gotten it down to about two hours thirty three minutes. Exactly. And uh, That's you know, yeah, no, and uh, me personally, uh, not to be too boastful or immodest, so to speak, but I'm kind of proud of it. I like the kind of narrative structure that has been. Uh, you know, revealed just by editing stuff in a weird way, you know, over months and months and months, you know, just different mixes and mashes. But, you know, uh, Brad, who is also a producer on this, you know, and he totally deserves that title, you know, it's kind of like, it's a documentary. You know, most documentaries, you know, are maybe an hour and a half to an hour, 45 minutes, you know, not making it to the two-hour mark. Like, you know, the stereotypical examples, you know, Heart of Darkness and making Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. you know, you know, stuff like that, you know. I'm not necessarily making Lord of the Material to make sense as long as, say, Never Sleep Again, the uh, Nightmare on Street saga. Yeah. You know, which was the original running time when I had every single little thing together. It was like four and a half hours. So that was your assembly, uh, that was your assembly cut originally, four and a half? Yeah. Wow. Uh, four and a half hours. That's a, yeah, lot, no. that's a lot of stuff. So. Oh, gosh, imagine having your brother watch it, and he had to pay for the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, the, but that, that's, that's, why you, that's why you have those assembly cuts, man. You got to sit there, and you got to, you got to, you really got to you gotta take notes. You're like, okay, that's got to go. This is, okay, we tighten this up. That's, but that's why they're there. That's why you do them. So that's, that's, that's all I, I think a lot of people realize that aspect of, of filmmaking when you get into editing. Unless you have yeah. like a, a fondness for editing, because that's really where the movie does start to really take shape. It starts coming into its final form, and you can really play around with it. But there, you're watching the same thing over and over and over again because you're looking for that that perfect spot to trim, to tighten up. This music's gonna go here, so yeah, it does get tedious though. It, it that's that's a big thing. So and sitting there, yeah, and you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, I was just gonna say, you know, it. Like, I'm a slow study, as Brad Durf would say, you know, it's just a, it takes time just to have that right creative decision mm-hmm. in regards to the material that you're working with, you know, just little things like that. It takes up so much time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 
So, uh, what, I mean, how much um, do you, uh, are you planning on uh, trimming that down even more to that 90-minute that mark? You're going to keep it around two hours? You can keep it at where it is right now? What's the plans? I'm going to wait. Uh, Brad is going to do his own edits, okay. you know, uh, on his own time, so that's okay. I'm going to continue working on uh, the version that you guys have, you know, okay. that you guys have been linked to. I'll keep working on that and uh, just see what I can come up with. Uh, but eventually, I'm going to see his cuts. And, uh, uh, you know, you always hear those legends about, you know, those director battles. Like, say, Martin Scorsese fighting for his taxi driver. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be one of those things. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, like, no, no. We do work well together. Just, uh, uh, this is the first time for everything. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, no, but again, and, and this is an undertaking of, of love and obviously a, a lot of interest in the. Uh, and the subject, so you know the fact that you guys feel that you have something here, and I, I can tell you, you do have you have something. Like from what I've seen of the film, there is there is something really. You, you, the apple's almost ripe. It's almost that got that little bit of green left, and it's almost completely red. So uh, I, I would say that, you know, stick stick to what you're doing, and uh, hopefully, you know, soon the, uh, the the good people listening to the show will be able to see it somehow. So. Well, yeah, no, like, uh, you know, originally the thought was, hey, fair usage, therefore, you know, make this free and whatnot. But, uh, you know, uh, if, you know, if there's any fans out there, Harlan Ellison, you know, the science fiction writer, he had uh, this great quote about paying the writer from a documentary on him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, I was trying to buy uh, someone, and uh, now I was thinking maybe trying to go out for distribution, you know, try maybe try to see if I can't find any to distribute it professionally. I don't know what do you guys think. I no, well, I mean, Mark, you you best. You, I mean, I think you said it best when we were having a conversation a few weeks ago. Why don't you sum that up? About uh, how to distribute the yeah. Well, oh. you, were, you, were, you remember you were having this discussion about uh, Kaiju Gaiden in in, in uh, you know uh, with, with with a uh, fellow uh, like uh, someone from your class was it not? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, my instructor uh, was pointing out that you know, streaming services, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, they, they are all producing original content. Now. They are pretty much desperate for content. Mm-hmm. What they like to see is something that's already done. Yeah, they don't have to put any money into it, really. Yeah, it's it's like oh, here's a little bit more just to kind of like uh, edit it more and polish it up a little bit, and yeah, yeah, we'd love to run it. Yeah, I believe the best so, exa- the best example you can see of that right now on Hulu is that uh, Batman and Bill documentary. That mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, it, it pretty much was uh, a little independent uh, thing about you know the Bill Finger story, and Hulu picked it up, and that's a Hulu original that a ton of people have watched. I've seen full sized bus uh, bench, uh, a bus shelter ads here in Los Angeles for for the Batman and B. Uh, Batman and Bill documentary. Oh, if you haven't watched, oh my God, yeah, it's it's like not, not to get too off topic, but it's an amazing doc. Just it's yeah. if you don't know the yeah. story, if you're not aware of the story of Bill Finger, and, and the, I'm somewhat familiar. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Bill Finger versus Bob Kane. Uh, that that's I know some of the stuff behind uh, that story. Yeah, some of the stuff. Believe me, and these guys, the 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 gentleman who made the doc who was really champion Bill Finger here, he, un- much like he uncovered a, all kinds of crazy stuff and the, the it takes it takes a um, an amazing turn towards towards the very end too like of how Bill finally got you know the credit that he that he actually deserved and 
it turned out, you know, it, you know, not to spoil too much, but uh, there was certain family members that no one knew existed that came out of uh, of nowhere that kind of helped with that. So, I, if you have Hulu, go look it up. It's it's a Hulu original. It's amazing. So, um, and you know, All right. we can see, do. and hopefully we can see the young Gary Doc like that uh, someday soon. So. Yeah, no, like, and it'll be a great little thing because I'll tell people, hey, you know, with Windows Movie Maker, you know, and I'm running Windows 8 as my operating system, you wow. know, with that, and just like, you know, technically what is practically just VCR tape footage mm-hmm. and some, you know, cam footage and maybe a webcam bit of video, you know, you can, you can make something really good, you know, you just got to know what exactly you're going for and exactly how to flesh it out via the human actions that you may or may not have. You know, documented. <laughs> we gotta get you out to G Fest one year, man. The, you gotta bring this out, may, like it, the, soon. Like it, it, this would go over very well with that with, with that whole group. So we can figure out something yeah. to get you out there. <laughs> I know the. No, no, I know, the, I know down in the film room, the the film festival that they run uh, Saturday and Sunday. I know they would love to show something like this. It's, <laughs> oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. hell yeah, man. It's right up their alley. I mean, Mark. Mark. Uh, now, I mean, pretty much it's become like a tradition. Now he does his his little miniature film festival, and then uh, the 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 screening room pretty much just runs all day. All kinds of. Uh, I mean, it's it's they're not just they're. I mean, they're showing all kinds. They're they're pretty much showing everything uh, from uh, like over the board, aren't they, Mark? They're just all kinds of independent stuff and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, independently produced films, uh, you know, family, all, you know, all the kind of stuff that's right up my alley. And, of course, I kind of, like, sum it all up, you know, with the things I've found. I mean, Evan's documentary would fit right in. Oh, and, yeah. and the wonderful thing about it is that they allow for these, you know, since it runs all day, they allow for the full-length version to be shown. I know Evan's right now is, is that, like, Two hours and forty minutes or forty-five minutes, pretty long. But you no, know, they would show it. You know, it'd be, it'd be, yeah. <laughs> you know, like like uh, like the Z Channel with Heaven's Gate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, probably not as as uh, yeah, <laughs> probably not to that extreme. But yeah, definitely that. I would go yeah, yeah. with your film with the uh, bring into that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, nah. Right. But, uh, no, no, hey, you know, maybe one of these days, one of one of these days. Well, you know, well, let's see, we can, we'll see, if we can work on something, because definitely, yeah, you got to get, you know, we got to get this out there. We got to get that, uh, and people got to see this. It's, uh, I, you know, from what I've watched, it's, 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 it's wonderful. So, um, all right, well, uh, we got to wrap up. Uh, Evan, where can people go to find out more information about this documentary? Yeah, go on to Facebook.com and search Young Gary Chronicle Project. You oh. should see us as the first little thing, yeah. Um, other than that, uh, look at uh, my blog every once in a while, uh, tokusatsuegatimes.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, I post a little something there. And uh, if not those two options, uh, just find me on Facebook directly. Hey, I accept all friend requests. <laughs> awesome. All right, I'll put that in the show notes for uh, everybody to check out as well. Uh, and then on that note, that will do it for this episode. As you're hearing this, uh, Mark, Jessica, and I will be at the San Diego Comic Con. It'll be Mark's first time ever there. He's uh, going, to go, he's, yeah, he's going deep into the trenches. After years of swearing it off, like, no, it's too good for me. Yeah, yeah, we, got, we finally drug him in. So um, 
if uh, I believe this will come up the Wednesday of so as the first day of Comic Con. So if you hear this before Saturday, just to reiterate, we have a panel on Saturday afternoon at the San Diego Public Library. Uh, Jessica and I will be running it. Mark will be there in action, and he will have uh, some goodies to show. Will you not, Mark? Yes. Uh, I'm still not sure what we're going to show, but I know for sure I'll be showing the trailer for Kaiju Gaiden. Fantastic. So uh, do check us out uh, there. 1, 8, 1 p.m. Uh, Saturday afternoon at the San Diego Public Library, and the first 100 people who arrive get an exclusive print uh, from uh, Transform, IDW Transformer Artists, uh, Levi Ramondelli, that he did for our uh, our presentation. So if you want to see more of his amazing art, just look him up on Instagram. It's Levio, uh, R-A-M. Hold on a second. He's got a Ramondelli. Uh, it's, and I'll put it in the show notes. Just look it up in the show notes. So uh, do find him there because his art's amazing. Um, and other than that... Um, and then next month is oh, it's uh Japan World Heroes. So I unfortunately will not be there, but Mark and Jessica will be there. So uh, look that up. I'll put that in the show notes as well. All right. Well, that will do it for this edition of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast for myself and Mark Hadamio and and uh, Evan Bernie. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next. Thank time. you.